that is who you are, our way maker. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's all right. You know, yesterday was a tough day, but it's okay. Just want you to know Jesus is alive and well. And we're going to be okay. Amen. We're going to be okay, right? Right? Okay. All right. Just need a little affirmation there. Well, it's good to see you, and I echo what Brad was sharing, just um, humbling, grateful for your love, your, your prayers, your support. Um, we're just kind of at a loss for words sometimes, but uh, Brenda and I just dearly love you and appreciate you. We're going into triple and quadruple appreciation. I appreciate you appreciating that I appreciate it what you did for us how about that I get a little confused if I try to go further than that but uh, there's a lot of appreciation going on here Uh, we are very thankful Um, pray with me real quick Lord I just ask that um, you speak to our hearts today out of everyone that can speak to us you're the one we need we need to hear your voice so distinct we need to We need to come to places where we can discern your voice amid all the other thoughts that's in our head and things that we hear. We really need you to reveal yourself. And I I do pray today, Lord, for those who are in somewhat of a vacuum of certainty that uh, they're, they're reaching, straining, trying to find an answer, a direction. Um, May you make clear to them your path, your will, what you want for them, what's ahead for them, that um, they don't miss the door that you put in front of them. And Lord, may today it just becomes clear, more clear to them than ever that you are revealing yourself to them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be sharing from Romans chapter 10. If you want to find that, it'll probably up on the screen in just a moment. But um, as you see in the handout, hearing God's voice. Um, how do we hear God's voice? How do we discern God's voice? How do we know when it's God speaking to us and not ourselves? This is the interesting thing. I think that people are like, well, I, you know, I don't want it to be me. You ever said that? I don't want it to be me thinking that it's God, but That's an inseparable uh, combination, though, because whatever God does and speaks to us, it's going to include us. It's going to include how we hear it, how we process it. And I know we, like, need the origination. Where is this coming from? Is this coming from God? I remember, um, you know, my, my family ancestry is all in Indiana and Ohio. So my mom and dad were both born and raised in Evansville, Indiana. So uh, we've got, I guess, Hoosier blood in us. The first two of my siblings were born in Evansville. The third one was born in Macon, Georgia. And the last three of us were born in good old Sylacauga, Alabama. And the only people from Alabama can pronounce that right. But all of my, my grandparents, my cousins, everybody is from up in Indiana. So Mike Pence is kind of a... A favorite son for our family and he happens to be the the vice president um, 
he was kind of mocked about a couple of things. You know, he makes this statement that he will not just have lunch with a lady or, or meet with a lady without his wife. And oh, did they mock him and make fun of that. Well, after everything that you hear is probably a, a pretty good suggestion that some people need to do that. But on the other hand, he also talked about Jesus talking to him. I don't know if you remember this, that, that he has this conversation, uh, conversational life with Jesus. And that, they really made fun of that. Even insinuating that if he thinks Jesus is talking to him, maybe he has some kind of mental illness. Now, this is people trying to process what is common for us in our conversation is that the Lord speaks to us, the Lord shows himself to us, he reveals his purpose to us, he communicates somehow through the word, through others, just in our prayer time. And we're not, we just kind of think that that's, that's just life. That's life as a Christian, that's life as a follower of Jesus, that he is intimately involved in our life. He's not out there somewhere, he's right here, right? He's right here. And I'm glad it's like that. I'm glad he's personal. I'm glad he just didn't look at us as a group. He looks at us individually. You know, I think it's a great revelation when you look at the cross and you realize that he died there for you. That's that revelation to me is that he died there for me. So our, in our conversation with the Lord, which is prayer, that's what prayer is. It's, it's conversing with the Lord. It's uh, many times our prayers about things that we're concerned about, people that need healing, people that need restoration, decisions that we're making, maybe our health or someone else's health. There, there's a myriad of different things that people said, please pray. My, my daughter sent me this link, and, and it was just devastating to her because she's got a kindergarten as a son, and a little kindergarten boy was hit accidentally at a four-way stop in front, of, in front of the elementary school and died from the injuries. Some of you might have seen that post, but she says just, this is like when you have little ones, it just kind of like becomes real. And so many people started praying for that family. I, I, I just can't fathom the pain of what they're going through. So when we're praying, we, we kind of intercede for people who are in those kind of places, right? But there's also times in our prayer that we give thanks and we love God and we express praise to him and we just have this moment of interacting with him from our heart, from our soul. Not about a need, any particular need, but just the gratefulness that we have toward him for all that he has done and is doing in our lives. And somewhere intertwined with all of those petitions and praise, he can speak to us if we're, if we're just taking the time to listen. Why shouldn't we expect God to talk to us? You know, a lot of people like to quote the verse that he has the very hairs on our head numbered. Well, if that incidental statistic is, is important to him, how much more what's going on inside of us? How much more what's going on inside our minds? How much more about what's happening in our relationships? And I believe he wants to express himself and reveal himself and speak to us. I want to take you to Romans chapter 10, verse 1, because the one place that the voice of the Lord, the voice of God penetrates our lives is in this thing about salvation. That when we, are, when we experience salvation, 
it's because he came up close and personal and revealed himself and spoke to us and, and drew us to himself. And Paul is praying, and, and chapter 10 begins this way, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel to be saved. I was listening to something recently, uh, I think it was Frank Cochran's Sunday school class, I was listening to that, and he talked about uh, this, this prayer warrior that prayed 4,000 and some odd times for a particular person to get saved. And when he mentioned that, he was asked, why are you praying that many times for someone to get saved and you're keeping track of it? He said, because I believe God wants to save them. Well, that person did not get saved until that man's funeral. And I remember, you know, being called to a, a residence in Jacksonville and says, uh, Freddie Kittler's passed away. And, uh, and, and also when I was called to his mother passing away. And when I got there, there was Sister Kittler sitting in her chair with her feet on an ottoman with her head leaned back on her chair and she was gone. No cause of death. She was later in years. I saw her that morning at a women's prayer meeting and uh, she usually stayed for lunch. She didn't stay for lunch and I said, Sister Kittler, you're not staying? She says, no, I got something I need to do. She went home and sat down next to that table, that lampstand, and wrote down all the names of the people in her family she was praying for their salvation. She wrote messages to each one of her family members and especially to one of her sons and, and laid that piece of paper down on that stand, laid her head back and went to be with the Lord. And when I preached her funeral, they gave me a photocopy and a lot of it was redacted as got, you know, classified information. You know, it was personal things. But there was a list of, of grandsons, granddaughters that she'd been praying for. And many of them came to the Lord following her intercession for them. I think, and, and Jim is usually the one that reminds us, that our prayers are like incense before God. They never evaporate. They're collected in heaven. And here's Paul's prayer for Israel to be saved still there still affecting Jewish people. He says, I'm praying to God because I know God wants to save them. My heart's desire is for God to save them. So in my conversation with the Lord, I'm asking him to save my Jewish friends, my Jewish, my fellow Jews. And as he tracks on down in that chapter, he comes to a place where we're very familiar, verses 9 and 10, when the description of salvation happens like this that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And this is, this is the description of salvation. We believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and we're saved. Not if, we're saved by that confession and by that faith. But I want you to look at the introduction to this in verse 8. When he says, what is it? That word of faith, it is nigh thee, it is near you, it is in your mouth. Even that word of faith which we preach. So listen to this. We call upon God for salvation because he puts a word of faith in our heart in order to call upon him. 
So salvation is completely of God. The prompting of our soul to believe that is because he speaks to us. God speaks to us even before we even think about speaking to him. That prompting, the reach, the decision orchestrated. You know, there's been a few moments in my life where, you know, I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord and probably that's why I'm still breathing and my heart is still ticking. But on a, a handful of occasions, he might as well spoken audibly. And one of those occasions was when I experienced salvation as a kid because I had an encounter with him. There's no other way for me to, to put it that night in that little church in Childersburg. That night, he came to me. I didn't see him, but I felt his presence and I heard the, the whisper of his grace to my life. And here is the weight of sin. How? How, how much weight of a sin can an eight-year-old? I, I remember one guy saying that the Lord saved him when he was five and he delivered him from stealing cookies out of the cookie jar. You know, those kids know what wrong is. That's, that's why they lie when you catch them, right? They, when they know they've done wrong, they lie. they'll lie about it. I lied about stealing a knife one time, but my mama was too much prophetic to know that, you know, you're lying, Charles. I said, yes, I burst in tears. Yes, I did. I took it. And so she helped me to repent about that. But, but when the Lord came to me in that salvation moment, he, is, he was as real to me as the building. And as dramatic as it could ever be, I don't know how else to describe it, that he came to me and called me. This is one of the most defining moments when God speaks to you is when he calls you to himself for salvation. I want to take you to a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. And that could be a number of chapters, right? It could be two, it could be nine, it could be ten, it could be sixteen. You can go on. But I'm going to take you to chapter ten in the book of Acts. Because this is a great story. It's two people who is as different as night and day that God talks to them. God talks directly to them and he turns both of their lives upside down or right side up, whatever you want to say. One of them is Cornelius. And I'm going to be reading the first few verses of uh, Acts 10 in just a moment. I'm just going to kind of highlight something first. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not only a Gentile. He is an Italian, a Roman soldier. So he is like really double trouble in some people's eyes. Here's Simon Peter. He's very Jewish, an apostle, a leader in the church. Both hear the voice of God. Both of them in this chapter hear the voice of God. Cornelius, God doesn't speak directly to him, but he speaks through an angel. And Cornelius knows that the angel is representative of God. Simon Peter, on the other hand, God speaks directly to him. In this chapter, Cornelius is on a mission. He's living out a mission. Mission. He's not a, a pagan man. He's a God-fearing man. He's a, a man of prayer. He's already developed this conversational life with, with God. He's also concerned about the needy. He gives, he helps people in need. He's got this big heart. And here's Simon Peter, 
you know, Cornelius is on a serious mission of spiritual search, right? You know what Peter is interested in? He's interested in lunch. He goes up on the roof of the, of the, of the house that he's living in to wait for lunch to be prepared, and he's up there praying, and, and, and it says while he's praying, he gets hungry. And he's waiting for them to finish the preparation for lunch. This is, this is not like maybe what Cornelius is at. This is just a typical day, maybe a fellowship. He's, he's visiting with, with somebody there. He's staying in their house. And here he falls into this trance. Well, let me, let me just take you through the first part of Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all of his family were devout, listen to the description of this man and his family. They were devout, God-fearing, gave generously to those in need, and prayed to God regularly, had conversation with God. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. He stared at him in fear, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers, your prayers. Your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tenor whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to them had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier. And he told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa to bring Simon Peter there. Now, there you have it. Cornelius tells these men what had gone on and to go get this man. So they head out that day. The angels convey a message. And Luke is so good with just being specific. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, this was a pretty good travel in that period of time. So they left that right after that. I think they, they probably left and went all night on the way to Joppa. But God, th listen to this. God has taken notice let me just put this question. Do you think this guy was saved? Do you think this guy was a believer? It's not a trick question. Do you think he was a believer? Then why was he praying to God and God was hearing his prayers? God was hearing his prayers. God was attending to, you know, said, okay, he has not prayed the sinner's prayer, whatever that is. It's... You know, we, we use that. He had not come to a full revelation of the redemptive work of God, but I think right then he could qualify to be justified by faith because he was living out. In fact, he was probably living out more as a God-fearing man than some people who were redeemed because God noticed him, noticed his prayers, noticed his concern for people, his giving to the poor, and he says, I've, I've been watching this. I've been receiving this. It's like a memorial to me. But you've got to be more informed about what's going on. And you need to have Simon Peter come and tell the rest of the story to you. Now, I, you know, it's a, it's a subjective thing. Do you think the guy was saved or not? Obviously, he wasn't in the authentic New Testament redemptive work of salvation. But he's about to get there. And so the, the, the chapter picks up where the next day, about noon the following day, this is verse 9, 
they were approaching the city, and Peter went up. I love the timing of this. Peter's just like, he's probably just doing, you know, just having a good day, right? Just going to eat lunch here in a little bit, visit with Simon the Tanner a little bit, and whatever he had planned that day, it's all about to be wiped off. God is about to reassign him a task. So as these people are approaching the city of Joppa, Simon Peter goes up on the roof of the house to pray. And he became hungry and he falls into this trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. You know, Peter is really about three things, isn't it? <laughs> he just can't get, can't get away from three things. Three times this happened. And immediately the sheep was taken back up into heaven. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate, all synchronized, just perfect timing. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said to him, God is speaking to him through the Holy Spirit, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. He said, I have sent them. God has sent them. God is doing something here. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, if you look at both of these men, there's a common link, isn't there? One common link. What is that one common link? They're both men of prayer. That's, it. That's about it. They're both men of prayer. But culturally, they're, they're as different as night and day. In fact, Peter doesn't even like this guy. And he don't want to be around him. And he wouldn't be around him, and he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be even asking these three people to stay there at the house if God hadn't already kind of readjusted his attitude. We know that Peter struggled with this because even after this, there was a time when Jewish people showed up at a dinner, and there was Gentile believers over here and Jewish believers over here, and Peter's like, you know what? I think I'll just sit over here and eat with the Jewish believers. And Paul said, I told him to his face that was wrong. That you don't live like a Jew now. You don't follow all the regimentation of the Jewish people. There's, these people.